Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Welcome to Any Stupid Questions, the political podcast that wants to ask stupid questions about big issues. Questions like, why is the Queen always grumpy? Is it something we've done? <laughs> With me, Danielle Ward, today discussing defence, is editor of Jane's Defence Weekly, Peter Folstead. Hello. Hello. As well as comedians, I hear Shah and Athena Kablenu. Hello. Hello. So, I will start us, if that's all right, Peter. Yep. Now, my first question is this. My friend is a guitarist in the Royal Marines. How is that even a job? <laughs> well, I'm sure he has a day job as a Royal Marine. Really? But the Royal Marine are famous for their bands, and these days you have to keep with the time, so I'm sure they do have a guitarist. But that's what he tells people his job is. Are we, are we actually funding a band? Is that where my taxes are going? On a band? I think some, <laughs> I, some I mean, part... would you rather say, like, what's your job, guitarist, rather than what's your job, killer? <laughs> <laughs> if he didn't exist, would we be less safe? Almost certainly, and and, they're, <laughs> and, they're, and they're, their band would be all the less for that. I'm, at some point, yes, part of your taxes may be contributing to him being a good guitarist, but they're also contributing to him being a very effective Royal Marine. I'm not convinced he does much Royal Marining. He seems to go on about the guitar side of things a lot more. <laughs> do you have a question? Um, yeah, I do. Like, I've always been taught if you buy cheap, you buy twice. So does that work the same way for bombs? <laughs> it and does bullets. kind of work that way. The problem with defence procurement these days is the systems that we're talking about, the platforms as we call them, ships, submarines, frigates, that kind of thing, they are so complex now that they take decades even to actually come into the front line once they get signed off as a, as a viable project. So... If you do buy cheap, as many countries tend to do when they don't have much budget, and we're talking about sort of African countries, countries sort of in Central Asia, they will tend to have equipment that will wear out, not get properly supported, and they will be less effective for that. And what's the kind of shoddiness? For example, like I used to like order Walkmans from Argos, and if you got the one that's at the top of the catalogue, it would be like an Alba, and it would have like one button and be and it will be plastic. But if you got the one at the bottom, which would be like number twenty three, it'd be metal and have lights. <laughs> so like when you buy like an expensive bomb, like what marks it as expensive? Is it got more lights? Is it lighter? Can you drop it more times without it breaking? Although Is it waterproof. <laughs> what you, wa- you, you want, want it to break? It to break yeah. When you really drop well, it. Well, <laughs> most most d- defense equipment becomes immediately expensive because it has to be soldier proof and then soldier proof. Yeah, it what does, does that it, mean? It means if you drop it, if you drop it, it'll still work. You know, if you get a laptop, for example, it will be a ruggedized laptop. 
although I have seen in a press release from an Israeli company that they were trying to flog a buggerized laptop, which they, they just got the bit of a wrong end of the stick there in the translation. But basically, it has to be soldier-proof, and it does look pretty Gucci by the time it's got to that point. You mean like soldiers are idiots, or they're used to dropping things? Well, they, they just, they're in a very difficult environment, oh, sometimes yeah. in a front line getting shot at, getting bombed, and they have to know that their equipment's going to work. Is there so, a soldier-proof guitar? I don't know about that. Oh, I don't. Okay. Probably not. That's just reminded me. I am wearing a Casio watch. Now, I've been told this is the watch that ISIS use. And everybody I know who... You're such it, a follow fashion. No, some, somebody I know in the military, also, like all the people that I know, because I know a lot of Navy people, they all have this watch as well. Is this a really good watch? <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, if you're looking at watches these days, soldiers will have almost like mini computers oh, where their right, watch would be and they will have things like blue force tracking tell them where the rest of their squad is that kind of thing so that is the gucci military watch i don't know about the casio i think the oh, isis just like having the digital watch like that because every day at quarter past three they're like it's isis o'clock <laughs> <laughs> just i have that watch and i put it in a washing machine and it came out and it still works exactly <laughs> that's why it's the watch of both the military and terrorists and it is <laughs> here so we had our new aircraft carrier come out the other day yeah. and the chap from the Russian Navy was very, very disparaging about our aircraft carrier, right? It's a lovely aircraft carrier. We're not actually going to go to war with Russia anytime soon. Would it kill him to just say a nice word about our aircraft carrier? Like, if you bought a car and everything, even if we weren't, like, best mates, I'd be like, nice car, Pete. Well, this is clearly aircraft carrier envy ah. because yeah, at some point sense. we're going to have two pretty Gucci aircraft carriers. <laughs> I mean, they're going to be extremely effective combat platforms. Once we get the aircraft put on them and they're fully tested and trialled and everything, there's the first one's currently in trials. The Russian aircraft carrier, the Kuznetsov, is pretty old. It makes a great big steamy line every time it sort of sails off somewhere. And when they put it into the Mediterranean to uh, conduct operations off Syria, they actually lost two aircraft off it. So that's like off. the one thing. No, no, they, <laughs> well, they, they, they were lost in operation. So, oh, you know, okay. for whatever reason, they actually lost two of their aircraft off that carrier. So they have a crappy old carrier. Right. We're about to get two brand new shiny ones. And, so um, he's just jelly. He's just jealous. Hey, yeah. he's going to hate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, is a, this is quite a stupid question, but I think it's relevant. What exactly is NATO? Why do the Labour youth want to leave it? And is that something that Donald Trump wants to do as well? NATO, I would say, is one of the most successful organisations post-World War II in terms of how it's been able to both keep and enforce the peace. Where Trump is on that, I can't justify, I can't even understand many of the things that come out of Trump's mouth. Mm -hmm. So I mean, NATO is this sort of security force that we all are part of and yeah. we pay money into. We're we are part of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization and as part of that treaty organization yeah. we have mutual defense agreement so that if another member of NATO is attacked we are beholden to come to their aid. Even if it's France? Even if it's France. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, um, it's an interesting question because with NATO has expanded so even if it's Poland these days. That's a NATO, even if it's Romania. But yeah, God, imagine entering a war because someone did something to Poland. That's insane. <laughs> but <laughs> these, countries, <laughs> these countries don't chip in as much as... So America feels they pay too much into NATO. Is that what Do Donald Trump's argument yeah, well, is? 
America is by far the largest military power in the world. If you look at the US Marine Corps alone, that's larger than the British Army. They've got more fixed-wing combat aircraft than the Royal Air Force. Mm -hmm. They have a massive military in terms of their capability and the sophistication of their platforms. So they are always going to be basically Just coming up bigger, with more... That's they're yeah, more they're, they're going to be the backbone of NATO. Yeah. What they are asking the other nations to do is to contribute at a 2% of GDP level, yeah. which I would say is reasonable because that's proportional to each country's GDP. Yeah. So I think that's fair enough. But most European nations, including us to some extent, are actually struggling to get there. We've actually fudged our numbers to say that we have met the 2%, but that's included a load of intelligence stuff that maybe shouldn't really be counted. But also, if America Mm. want to spend 2% of GDP and someone else wants to spend like 0.5%, what's the problem? The idea that every country has to make their military as proportionately big as America seems ridiculous. They just want to see some greater commitment. And of course, without a belligerent Russia tromping around in eastern Ukraine, Mm. it's very difficult to make an argument that these, these countries that have economic difficulties and are struggling to spend money on health and education or whatever should be stumping up this money to defence. It's it's a difficult argument to make. Yeah. So I think the Americans, and, and I don't really care what Trump says, but the Americans have said this before Trump, to be honest, that Europeans just need to step up to the plate a little more in a proportional way. But what if you're just really good shoppers? So you might spend one. <laughs> yeah. You might spend one percent, but we you might get. The, yeah, you <laughs> might get the same amount of planes. And also, let's say you spend two percent on the army, but less on your education system. But then everyone in the army's stupid. So what's the yeah. point? Like, they can't fly the planes because they didn't go to school. So you kind of have to do everything, don't you? I mean, that has an effect. There are other parts of an economy will have an effect on the military. Even the generals in control of uh, our armed forces would say that one of the things that we need as a nation to be secure is a strong economy. And these days, soldiers are said to be the PlayStation generation because that's the kind of thing they're dealing with. You Mm. know, if we've got something like an F-35 joint strike fighter to land it, you're pretty much pressing a button. You're actually trying to make systems so that they are effective for the next generation. That's so cool, because when I was a kid, I played elite, so would I be able to drive that plane? Yeah, you, you'd, you'd probably have the mentality <laughs> that would, would actually plug you more into modern defence And we're systems. putting it to the test <laughs> <laughs> right now. <laughs> then perhaps I did. Where Athena lands a strike fight. <laughs> Which countries could we beat in a war? (laughs) Could we beat America? Because they seem to think so. Well, no, we couldn't beat America. They they are really at the top of the league. In fact, if you look at it like the Premiership, then the United States are really Manchester City because they've got all of the money. They've got more equipment than everyone else. Coming second, probably China. I guess they're Manchester United because after all they're the Reds. I never really think of um, China as having an, yeah, an army. Yeah, they do. In third position would probably be Russia. That'd be Chelsea under okay. Abramovich. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about great power status, but really just echoes of superpower status. And then 
you've probably got us and France as sort of Spurs and Arsenal, as in where we're sort of vying for Champions League positions, but we could drop down into the Europa League, depending on what kind of a season we have. See, because I always heard that France had a terrible military, but we're no, on level pegging, aren't we? We're pretty much on level pegging. And in fact, at the moment, the French have an aircraft carrier out there. Ours, our first one is still only on a trials basis and we haven't got the aircraft for it yet. Mm. And so although eventually we will have two aircraft carriers and France will only have one, mm. at the moment they've got to speak because they do have an aircraft yeah. carrier out there that they're actually but using. importantly, if Emmanuel Macron showed me that aircraft carrier, I wouldn't get all prissy and be like, oh, like what, you even call that an aircraft carrier, mate? Like that Russian dude did. <laughs> I'd be like, look, Emmanuel, that's a really nice aircraft carrier. I'm proud of you. Let's it's, have It's some pretty wine. good. And in fact, the aircraft that the French fly off of their carrier, which mm-hmm. is the, the Char de Gaulle, which is a nuclear-powered aircraft carrier, are completely French, which is kind of impressive because these days... The kind of aircraft that we operate, the Typhoon, which is a European program, mm-hmm. and also the F-35 that we're getting, the Joint Strike Fighter, these are international programs because we pretty much these days can't afford to produce our own aircraft, okay. whereas the French can. They have the Rafale flying Do you think that we'd be able to beat the French in war if their French-produced planes decided to go on strike? <laughs> well, they'd still a have... Because they'd just be, like, burning cars in they, the street and well, everything, yeah, and we'd just get in there they while would they're have, taking, like, an extended lunch or something. They would have parity with us in terms of nuclear-powered attack submarines. Their armed forces is slightly larger than ours, so... Just like Waterloo, we'd probably need a bit of help to beat the French. But you wouldn't need an aircraft carriage because it's just a channel. You could just fly over there. You it's could like do 20 that. quid. You could. <laughs> <laughs> you just get right the there. <laughs> it would just be really weird. The aircraft carriage would be actually be the length of the channel. You'd walk to the other end yeah. of it, you'd be halfway there. Yeah. Out of all of these countries you've listed, who do you think we're most likely to go to war with next? It's got to be Russia as a sensible answer. I mean, there are other countries that we could easily beat. Liechtenstein, for example, doesn't even have any armed forces. Oh, we should take barely, them. Why barely, are you doing that? Barely have 100 policemen. The Austrians, <laughs> they have an air force that pretty much works nine to five. So as long as we attack them out of office hours, I think we'll be okay there. That's charming. But generally speaking, if you're going to look at someone who we might end up going to war with, you'd have to say Russia because, you know, we, we only look at the past few years and we're looking at Russia having invaded a sovereign European state yes. in Ukraine. Yeah, but usefully, Think haven't we got that really cool tactic where we just pretend they didn't do that? Well, the, the uh, world's kind of done that, to, haven't yeah. they? Yeah. They have kind of done that, yeah. <laughs> On the issue of going to war, how scared should we be of North Korea? Because me personally, not at all. It just doesn't feel like a real threat. Like, you know, when all the things that you worry about in the world, North Korea just seems like two crazy dudes on Twitter really is it something we should be worried about well if you're sitting in uh, london as we are then i guess it's not that much of a threat if you're a south korean it's pretty terrifying because the north korean armed forces they've probably got something like over a million men under arms we don't really know quite how effective they are or whether hundreds of thousands of them have just been eating grass for the last fortnight Mm. but they are about two things they are about developing a nuclear ballistic missile capability so they can threaten the United States and have the kind of status that they want to have in the world. And the other thing they're about is just pulverising South Korea. And that is their thing. But how comes some countries are allowed to have nuclear bombs and some countries aren't? Like, surely if 
people we don't like them we should just get rid of them it's not fair like if someone orders dessert and says well you can't have any i'd be really annoyed <laughs> well i mean this is the argument of states like north korea and pakistan and it tends to be the unfortunate slightly pariah states like north korea and to some extent iran that aspire to having nukes for not necessarily the right reasons what's the right reasons to have a nuke well, that's a good <laughs> argument. That, that's a good point. And these days we could look at our nuclear deterrent and we could think about other things, for example, ballistic missile defences that might make more sense in the modern era. Although, of course, decades ago, we didn't really have that capability. And we were led into a position where during the Cold War, we had this strange standoff of mutually assured destruction. And you can argue, did that did that actually tamp down the world's propensity for conflict or, you know, did it keep a lid on it or was it just something that fortunately didn't happen in terms of nuclear war? The whole nuclear question is a very difficult one. So we can argue now, looking at modern technology, maybe it's not such a good idea to have nuclear weapons. Good. I still don't feel any safer. I'm actually building a bunker in my head right now that might be a sensible thing so here's my thing about nukes maybe you know how we want trident because we want to keep people in jobs like what are we going to do to all the people who are building the nuclear weapons in north korea <laughs> and in iran like we have to give them other jobs like could they come over here and pick our fruit or something <laughs> uh, well, let, let's just hope that they they can develop a tourist industry yeah. and we can i really like the idea of the iranian regime just saying like this is all about job creation ignore all of the stuff we have spent decades <laughs> saying about jews <laughs> like, like. but there is something fascinating about trident and about nukes in general in that nobody thinks anybody is going to use them because it's such a insane thing to do yeah but we still want to keep ours at a huge cost. And I imagine all the, like Russia, uh, France, the US, they all want to keep theirs as well. Is it about dick swinging? Is it about money coming into the, the, the industry in terms of the economy? Or is it about something else that we've missed? It's partly about dick swinging. And certainly countries like Iran, Pakistan, North Korea, certainly there's a lot of dick swinging going on there. Mm -hmm. In terms of where we are on that, I think we're really uh, towards the tail end of the heritage of nuclear weapons. So if we remember, they've only been used in anger twice, and that did end a world war. It's probably the one clear example of where nuclear weapons have worked in a way that perhaps these days they can't work, in that that definitely ended the Second World War, and probably, though terrible that it was, probably saved lives when you look at how many lives civilian and military would have been lost yeah. had the United States and possibly British forces had to invade Japan mm. uh, in 1945. These days... It's a much more nuanced argument, and as I said, I think there were perhaps other things that we could be thinking about spending our money on as ballistic missile defences come to the fore. But if we were to say that we're going to do away with nuclear weapons, we're just going to put all of that money into ballistic missile defence, and we're going to be able to defend the UK and Europe with our European allies... Would people then come to us and say, well, you're no longer a nuclear nation. You don't now deserve to be one of the five permanent members of the United Nations. So, and that could potentially reduce our influence in the world. But that's what I was going to ask about the Security Council. So if we got rid of our nuclear weapons, we wouldn't be one of the permanent members. Well, of I think people would argue and question 
our continued status as part of the Permanent Five. Maybe we could do it like Brexit. So we get rid of Trident, but we still ask to be on the yeah. Security Council. Well, why, yeah. why do we want to be on it? Because like, when I'm at work, if I get taken off a meeting list, I'm ecstatic. So <laughs> like, like, I'm like, fantastic. Like, came up the terms of reference. So like, isn't it just like one less flight to, like, to come out of the, the taxpayer's pocket? I guess we've just got work. used to being there. Could we um, say to everybody, we definitely do still have nuclear weapons. Yeah, we do, but we get rid of them. Does it, do they send like someone around every year to check that they still exist? Well, yeah, we could do that. Um, the, the other way around is like Israel, where they do have nuclear weapons, but they never tell anyone that they have. How do you know they've got them? Well, we're pretty sure they got them. Is it because they keep ordering stuff that you only need a nuclear weapon for? They have a particularly difficult neighbourhood, so <laughs> I guess it's prudent for them to at least quietly talk about that big stick <laughs> could we have a situation maybe where i know that since the end of the cold war stockpiles have been being reduced and what have you could we just get to a situation where we're like all right x number of countries you've got nukes i get it fine but can you just have enough to destroy the entire world once over because it seems like a bit of excess to be able to destroy the entire planet three thousand times yeah no, that sounds eminently sensible. Right, okay. We'd save quite a lot of money as well. Sure. And so everything wouldn't be being done off floppy disk in the United States. Absolutely. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do we sell arms to bad guys? And why do we do that? That seems mental. (laughs) Well, we we do sell arms, and of course, that is a difficult question. For example, we make a hell of a lot of money selling arms to Saudi Arabia, Mm -hmm. and that is an interesting debate to be had because... that marriage was never going to work out, so it's better that (laughs) we just bomb the wedding. It's problematic. It is problematic. Obviously, when we sell so much defence equipment to Saudi Arabia like Typhoon jets, that makes them cheaper for us to buy in terms of the unit cost. It also keeps a lot of people in jobs in the UK. But then you have to ask the question, is that a regime we should be supporting? Are there other things we should be considering? And of course there should be. And then we've taken a pause and looked at whether we should be continuing supplies to Saudi Arabia in light of some of the things they've been doing in Yemen with indiscriminate airstrikes, for example. So 
In terms of who we should be selling stuff to, I would say yes, we do need a strong defence industry. It helps us develop our defence industry, it helps technology in our country, it protects jobs, it makes money for UK PRC. But yes, we absolutely do need to ask questions of exactly who we are selling defence equipment to. I have a stupid question. You know if we, like, flog loads of weapons to demented petrostates and, we're like, oh, these guys might... What if they attack us one day? You know, no. But could we build, like, a back door into the jets that we send them where it's just, like, if ever someone tries to fly over the English Channel, it immediately blows up? Well, <laughs> I, I wouldn't say that was impossible. I mean, like they're... Home Alone. <laughs> yeah. There's little traps. Just freebie yeah. trap the country. Yeah. Oh, my God, there's mouse traps everywhere. <laughs> The Americans have actually been going through a procedure uh, in recent years where they've identified components that have been used in their defence platforms that have originated in China. And for that very reason, they are moving to actually make sure that they don't use those anymore because they do worry about the extent to which that could compromise those platforms. So it's not a stupid question Mm. because that kind of thing is in theory possible these days. I guess also similar to recently when everyone decided that, oh, we should probably stop using Russian antivirus software. (laughs) (laughs) But actually, can I ask a question on that? Because isn't it the case, like, 80s movies are coming true and all war is basically, like, electronic and it's Twitter and hashtags and Facebook posts? And, like, shouldn't we just stop making, like, weapons of mass destruction? Shouldn't we just start tweeting? Like, if we just slagged off North Korea on Twitter and then it just became a kind of you won the war based on, like, who had, like, the best gif <laughs> you know because sometimes you see something you think yeah that's that was a really good shade and then it's like then you just then it's all over isn't it well yeah but i mean the greatest user of twitter i would say is donald trump and everyone around the world How pretty much you. thinks he's an <laughs> asshole <laughs> it's true that the cybersphere is another domain so whereas before we had land sea and air and then we had land sea air and space now we have land sea air space and the cyber domain and that is a domain where warfare will and is happening. So if we're now up to land, sea, air, space and cyber, what do you think the sixth dimension of warfare will be and do you think it will be the soul? Or it could be love. Well, love would be a good. That would be a good domain to actually get into. I yeah, think there should be more of that. Then it would be Jane's Love Weekly, and it's like. I think I've been on their website. <laughs> That's not us, I assure you. There are many enemies anymore. Proper enemies are there? I mean, this thing well, I don't understand because everybody, no, we're all meant to be part of these big collectives together, and we all have these militaries that we're never going to use against each other. But we don't really like Russia, but we trade with Russia, and China have suddenly become our friends. And I don't understand why we build all these weapons if what we're trying to do is have a, a global community. It's true that with globalization, that the world is increasingly interconnected. So you would hope that with China, for example, where to some extent they're trying to have their cake and eat it by remaining communist but still indulging in the world markets, but you would hope that by them becoming more and more interconnected with the world and the world's markets, that they would not want to do anything too belligerent to upset that. Mm -hmm. That's what you'd hope, but then you, you still have pariah states that cut themselves off from the world, like North Korea. So the analogy I would use is, no matter where you go, there's always going to be the bully in the playground. 
So, for example, I have a five-year-old daughter and she has an array of books that she likes me to read to her when, when she goes to bed. And one of them has a very apt geopolitical message in it. <laughs> I, I just really wanted to say, and one of them is the manual for an F-35. <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably try and, yeah, if she doesn't go to sleep, I'll try and read her something like that. But this one's called Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Bully Bunny? Mm-hmm. And so the story goes, there are these four little rabbits and they all take it in turns to go off to the vegetable patch to get a carrot. And each time the big bad bully bunny comes out, steals their carrot and sends them packing, telling them they're ugly, stupid or whatever. And they all come back with their tail between their legs, if bunnies can do that. My tail's looking drab, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, separately, of course, they are all beaten. And it's not until the third one comes back and the small, tiny little bunny says, what are we doing? If we stick together, we can beat anybody. And they go off and defeat the big bad bully bunny by acting together. Now, that's what the UN's supposed to do because of the uh, geopolitical bullshit from China, Russia, for example, vetoing things. It tends not to happen. And it does tend to be NATO that actually polices the world like that. But there will always be the bully in the playground, whether it's Saddam Hussein, Kim Jong-un, whoever. That person's always going to be there. Also a really interesting exercise in subjectivity because the four smaller bunnies who are getting dicked on by the big bully bunny could just as easily have been like, and that's why we formed a caliphate to destroy (laughs) the big bully bunny, the decadent West. (laughs) But that's true. Like, If we have like the biggest military and the biggest army, like, why is ISIS even a thing? Like, Surely we would have just gotten rid of them long ago i mean they are pretty much got rid of now if you think about it so that caliphate lasted what two three years but that exploited a power vacuum that happened in that space in in iraq and syria and so it goes back to the question like why are we fighting somewhere like that somewhere like iraq when you know there's no direct threat well in those kind of ungoverned spaces in afghanistan in iraq and syria that's where those kind of threats ferment and that's where that threat can end up coming back to these shores but now that's there's a two-edged sword to that because obviously if you're in a foreign country with the best will in the world if all you're trying to do is stop islamic terrorism coming to our shores no country's going to want foreign soldiers boots on its territory so it's a two-edged sword and that has to be managed very very delicately but that's why we end up fighting in other countries and you know we don't have to go back too long just a couple of decades to realize that you know there was genocide happening in what was yugoslavia so so it 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 can happen closer to home and it's now happening in ukraine is peacekeeping the euphemism that we think it is, or, or do, do do we genuinely keep the peace out in these countries when we when we send forces on a peacekeeping mission? There are different types of operations. Sometimes it's peace enforcement, uh, and that involves a great use of force. <laughs> nice. <things. laughs> there are official terms for these things. Yeah. If you're actually trying to stop the fighting that has ceased, mm-hmm. you're trying to keep a lid on things, as we were doing in places like Bosnia and Kosovo after the conflicts there, yeah. then that is peacekeeping. And generally speaking, you can look at success stories like Kosovo where that has successfully happened. But it has happened because we do have, along with our allies, usually NATO allies, boots on the ground. 
Yeah, but do you think that that sort of uh, nuanced analysis gets in the way of the British left pretending that Tony Blair only did one thing in his entire life? Yeah, that's that's a problem. I mean, I, that, you're always going to be able to look at this another way. And it just comes down to responsible and accountable government, I think, in terms of how we go to war. I think just to look at the Blair situation, I, I think the problem there was... They weren't honest enough about the reasons why we went to war in Iraq. I personally believe there were sound reasons for doing that. The Saddam Hussein regime was a horrific regime which was doing murder to its own people on a massive scale. Mm -hmm. But I do think that the Americans and the British government to an extent kind of short-circuited and hoodwinked uh, the population in a way that I don't think they really needed to have done to justify going into war there. And now we are, we're dealing with that as a consequence. So I think we've got time for one more question each. I'd like to propose that instead of calling it defence, we call it attack. <laughs> and the Calling reason, a spade a spade. Yeah, mainly because whenever you get like a football team that is like defensive, it's like really boring. Everyone, <laughs> everyone hates it when the England team is just passing the ball in its own half. Just like So like if we called it attack, wouldn't that be better? Because then everyone, and then yeah. the guitarist would have to get a gun because it'd be attack. Yeah. Yeah. And you wouldn't get to get away with like playing like queen and Swap stuff. Swap his axe for a genuine <laughs> yeah. axe. Yeah. <laughs> That perhaps might be a, a more um, honest way of putting it. I mean, you get this throughout the, the whole defence sphere the whole time. When they're talking about kinetic effects, they're talking about bombing and killing people. But they're talking about it in a slightly distanced, detached way, in a way to try and make it more palatable. Perhaps there should be more honesty in how we call things. But then if we rolled out a new tank and then instead of calling it Ajax, we called it Widowmaker, yeah, <laughs> I would well. buy that. Like, I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't really sexist. On the ground level, on the ground level, soldiers themselves do do that. I mean, yeah. if you look at the main battle tank for the U.S. military, it's the M1 Abrams, the M1A1 and M1A2 Abrams. Mm -hmm. But when the American soldiers name their own tanks. They do call them things like corpse exploders. <laughs> wow. So it, it, that does happen. That does happen. I can, I can appreciate that because I wouldn't read Jane's Defence Monthly, but Jane's Attack Monthly. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Get me that magazine. I'll, I'll put that to the board. We did have, like, the euphemistic thing is relatively recent, right? Like, it was the Ministry of War in the early part of the 20th century, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, that's true. That's true, yeah. Has there been a conversation amongst all of the world's military or at least like nato about what would happen if an alien attack Ooh. happened and who would lead that well, and how nice. excited would everybody be because they could all actually use their weapons in space well <laughs> there, there, there are ufo files the military do keep these kind of files because obviously they have the assets to be able to see this kind of thing they've yeah. got the sensors they've got the radar systems They've got the kind of capabilities that you would need to spot things like UFOs. And there are unidentified flying objects, mm. and there are records of them. But, of course, that's not necessarily to say that they're aliens. They are just unidentified. So I think they may have thought about those kind of capabilities. They certainly have more ability than other 
organisations to be able to deal with that, yeah. but we would hope perhaps that they would not necessarily go in there all guns blazing, but would perhaps try and draw on all the kind of assets that you see in the movies, you know. Okay. And who but who would lead the charge? Have, have we decided who... Because obviously there's no president of Earth. So who would be the person making the decisions? Well, let's hope it wouldn't be Trump. Yeah, let's hope it's not Trump. I think that it would either be Elon Musk or Elon Musk would reveal that he was the head of the aliens. He's got it's such an evil name, isn't it? Yeah. But like who would you want to who Lick would you want sign. to lead us into a battle with a space alien? Not Trump, not Theresa May. Not Putin. I mean, oh, I'd want Stormzy. Yeah. 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 The guy Stormzy that played the president uh, in Independence Day, he would be good. Yeah, he would. <laughs> do you I, have a closing I have question? A question? I do have a question. Uh, so, there's that quotation of, I don't know what weapons World War Three will be fought with, but World War Four will be fought with sticks and stones. With that in mind, what do you think World War Five will be fought with? Well, if we get that far and we're still here, I'd be very surprised. But... Just need an investment tip right now. Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine. I mean, obviously, conflicts moving ahead are being fought in the cybersphere as, as well as everywhere else. We've been trying, it, within the military, they've been trying to get to a situation where space is not militarised. But inevitably, I think that might end up happening. Mm. So we could end up with, basically, extraterrestrial conflict. And that could be something altogether way out there like moonraker the james yeah, bond one in space it, it, it could go lasers. beyond there as resources are argued over beyond the world itself oh you so like you know somebody would want to colonize mars yeah. and then someone would find something else that had yeah. some water on it and they'd want to colonize so basically, that. in your well, you view the trajectory of warfare goes mustard gas nuclear weapons cyber warfare sticks and stones interstellar space well, <laughs> like maybe would have like four and five are quite the leap that's um, we would have screwed ourselves before then i think yeah. so if america declared war against the rest of the world and the rest of the world pulled together against america who would win in that battle the americans are definitely the most capable military in the world they don't have the manpower of course when we look at other countries like china I'd, I'd, if we had Canada on board, then maybe a northern invasion, like from the south, from Mexico, that would be a war Contain on multiple them. fronts, wouldn't it? Yeah. Mm. So maybe we could prevail, especially if Trump was still there. Would we have that to get everybody to chip in? Would it be literally, they'd, they'd you know, some little in. island Definitely. with four yeah. hand rifles? Yeah, it wouldn't be good. No. But it's good to know that, you know, we've got that option <laughs> because it's something we will think about. <laughs> Thank you, Peter. Thank you so much. That was really brilliant. Thank you. Any Super Questions was hosted by me, Danielle Ward. Our expert was Peter Felstead from Jane's Defence Weekly and our comedian guests were Ahir Shah and Athena Kablenu. It was produced by Ed Morish for the internet. If you enjoyed our podcast, then subscribing, rating and reviewing it will help other people find it. And you can also tell them about the show with your mouth. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.